Bethlehem Church, that's worth celebrating right there, isn't it? Come on. We are so excited about this season and what God's going to do in the next season. And last weekend, if you were part of our Commitment Sunday, it was such a powerful, uh, powerful weekend. And we just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your faithfulness, uh, for your obedience. And, and here's honestly, we've talked about this behind the scenes. Here's what we believe. This is not normal. Like, I hope you know that. This is not normal. This is supernatural, what we get a chance to be a part of. I hope you feel that, because we are part of a movement. And really, that's what this series is all about, uh, that we will not back down. We are part of a movement, uh, a church that began some 2,000 years ago. Uh, and we see the account in the book of Acts. We've been looking through the first four chapters. Uh, Pastor Jason's been teaching uh, through these chapters about the movement and the beginning of a church that we are a part of today. So we stand on the shoulders, on the foundation of what men and women built many, many, many years ago. But that movement has not stopped. And by the way, it will not stop. It will not stop. And we get a chance to be a part of it. We carry the baton in this season right now in our communities. And what we're saying is that we're not going to back down. And we're going to look today at Acts chapter 5. The, the author, Luke, who is a physician, a man of detail, begins to write about the heroism of this, of this early movement. And I don't know about you, but when I read the book of Acts, I think, man, these guys were like heroes. I mean, they had a courage, they had a boldness that, I mean, just is heroic. And I see that, and there's something in me that's inspired by that. And I was thinking about heroes today, because heroism, heroism is a big business. It's big business. I mean, we see it in comic books, we see it on movies. I mean, just for curiosity, how many of you uh, are Marvel superhero fans? I mean, just across all of our campus, just raise your hand. It's okay. It's okay to nerd out right now, all right? My family is, all right? We, we love the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, because there's something about superheroes that inspires us. They use their power for good. And I actually read something interesting. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's some 20 movies or something and counting right now, has earned $22 billion at the box office. $22 billion. Or that's 22 times Taylor Swift's net worth, okay, for all you Swifties right there. Just, just letting you in. That's a lot of money, okay? And we see this heroism uh, in movies, we see it in literature, and there's just something about it that inspires us. And so when I read Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 4, that Pastor Jason taught, of, taught on last week, man, I'm inspired. I'm inspired by the, the courage of these men and women, the boldness of these men and women. And I just want to read an account from Acts chapter 5. In fact, across all of our campuses, I'm going to ask that you stand. And we're going to read from Acts chapter 5. Starting with verse 12. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Maybe your little Bible app on your phone. That's acceptable too. If not, we're going to throw it up on the screen. And we're going to read God's word together. Starting with verse 12. And it says, Meanwhile, the apostles were performing, performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And the believers were meeting together at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. And no one else dared to join them, though everyone else, or though everyone had high regard for them. And more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. 
As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came in from villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits. They were all healed. And the high priest and his friends, who were Sadducees, reacted with violent jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. Amen. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people the message of life. So the apostles entered the temple about daybreak and immediately began teaching. And when the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council along with all the elders of Israel. And I love this. I love what it says here. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought to trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and they reported the jail was locked with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. And when the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. By the way, it won't. Then someone arrived with the news that the men they had jailed were out in the temple teaching the people. And everybody said, come on, amen. That's God's word to us and for us today. You can be seated. So the early apostles are performing miracles. Obviously, the, the attention is on them. The spotlight's on them. And scripture says, actually, that the religious leaders... Even the Sanhedrin, it says this in this account, it says that they were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. Now the question we have to answer is why? Why were they filled with jealousy? Well, the reason why they feel, were filled with jealousy is because they wanted the power. They wanted to be the hero. And at this moment, the spotlight was not on them. It was on the movement of the early church and the religious leaders could not control it. They couldn't control it. It was out of control. And so again, these men and women had this boldness and this courage after the resurrection that we see here. And listen, the reason why we are calling this series, We Won't Back Down, is because we believe God is calling us to that same courage. We believe that God's calling us to that same boldness. And we are going to be a church much like the early apostles and disciples who are going to say, listen, it's not about us. We are not the hero of the story. Jesus is. No church name has ever changed anybody's life. No man or woman standing on a stage has ever changed a person's life. The name of Jesus changes lives for all eternity. That's what we believe. That's the mission. And so everybody's standing on our stages across all of our campuses, you watching online. Everybody's standing here. Here's what we are proclaiming. We are simply directional signs pointing to the true hero, and that's Jesus. That it's about him and it's not about us. And so on our mission statement, we put this on our website, we put this on a wall, our walls. Pastor Jason talked about this, that we exist to lead people to discover new life in Christ. In Christ, where does new life begin? It begins in Christ. That's where new life comes from. Where are marriages restored? In Christ. Where are we given a new identity? In Christ. 
And in the spirit of the apostles, here's what we're saying in this next season. We will not back down. We will not stop. We believe God has called us to more. And so that's what we're after. And so these apostles, they knew this. They knew this. Now, at some point, and we're going to talk about this for the next few minutes, at some point, they didn't have the courage and the boldness that they had post-resurrection that we see in Acts chapter 5. But, but they did have this unbelievable boldness that we see in verse 18. I, I want to read this to you because I think this is fascinating, by the way. And whenever I read scripture, I try to put myself in the shoes of the men and women, okay, that are, that are actually the characters in the story. But, but let's read this together. It says, they arrested the apostles. They put them in a public jail. By the way, this is the second time they've been arrested. They were arrested in, in, in chapter 4. Pastor Jason talked about that last week. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, and this is what's fascinating to me, okay? So they're in jail. Pressure is on them. They don't know if they're going to make it out, what it's going to look like, their future. All of a sudden, the angel shows up and says, hey, we're going to break you out of jail. So he breaks them out of jail. And by the way, where does he tell them to go? Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. Now, if it would have been me, I probably would have said, so you want me to go back to the place and do the thing that got me in here in the first place? Like, if we want this movement, like, to actually get off the ground, we might need to cool it off for a little while. We might need to, to kind of lay low because I don't know if you know this, but we're about to lose our heads. They don't, but they have this boldness. And so we know from scripture, what do they do? They go back to the temple and they keep preaching the same message of the gospel. And we read this and we're like, that's courage, that's boldness. But if you know the story, there's a lot of irony in it because prior to the resurrection, post Christ's arrest, what we see is the opposite of boldness and courage. The opposite of that. That there, there was something about them that, that they were probably known more for their cowardice than they were their courageousness. You know, they, they complained, they fought, they wavered, right? That was, that was their story. They, they didn't understand. And I think there's a reason why. Because I think prior to the resurrection, they were trying to make themselves the hero of the story. They were fighting for position. They wanted, they wanted to be known. They want to have a level of stardom, if you would. But again, the resurrection changed all of that. So I want you to write this down. I, I've been thinking about this, and I, and I really think this goes all the way back to the first sin that we see in Genesis. But I think that this is our great temptation in life, and I want you to write this down. Our greatest temptation in life is to cast ourselves as the hero of the story. I think that's our greatest temptation. Again, go all the way back to Adam and Eve to make it about ourselves, to make the rules, to make ourselves the hero of the story. So the reality is for all of us that, that every year, every month, every day, every minute, you and I have a choice. That can, we can either make the story about us or we can make the story about the divine creator of the universe. We can either live a life that says points to me 
or live a life that points to Jesus. And so the disciples, what we see prior again, prior to the resurrection, they were constantly fighting for position, much like we do in society, don't we? Like we do this all the time. Like all of us can understand this. Like we're always fighting for position, fighting for people to know our name, fighting to be known, fighting to climb the ladder, if you would. And I think, listen, I think the reason why so many of us are exhausted, why we lack fulfillment, why we would be defined as workaholics, no matter what we accomplish in life, it's just not enough. I think it's because of this temptation right here to make ourselves the hero of the story. We put all, our pres- all the pressure on us because we're trying to somehow fill a need that only the creator of the universe can fill. And there's this wrestle in all of us. And the disciples, listen, if they could stand on the stage, they'd go, listen, we get it. Like, we totally get it. We got the t-shirt for it, okay? Like, that was us. We were fighting to position ourselves on the left and the right of Jesus all the time, bickering among each other. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And that is the temptation of all of ourselves. But after the resurrection, something radically changed. We see a boldness and a courage from the disciples that was different. And here's what I think the disciples figured out. Hey, listen, we are just a nobody. We're not the hero of the story. We're just a nobody pointing to a somebody. And Bethlehem Church, you know who we are? We're just a nobody pointing to a somebody. That's who we are. If you're joining us for the first time, you're like trying to figure us out, here, here we are. We are nobodies apart from Jesus Christ pointing to a somebody. So I, w- I want to propose a question to you that, that I've been asking myself lately. And here it is right here. Here's the question. What are you fighting to be remembered for? Like, what are you really fighting to be remembered for? I think this is a great question for us. Like, in your life, when you look at your life, you take an account of your time, your finances, all of the, the things that you're trying to accomplish. Like, what... What, are you, what do you want to be remembered for? Like, what, what are you fighting to be remembered for? One of my mentors uh, early on, he had this great illustration. It's the first time I've ever heard it. You've probably heard it before. But, but he said, Matt, he said, at some point, you're going to die. And I said, hopefully not for a while, but yeah. Uh, at some point, none of us get out alive. Like, you know that, right? Church, watch, like, you're not going to get out alive. Like, there's a 100% fatality rate for all of us. And at some point, they're going to put us in the ground, and there's going to be a headstone. This is what he told me. There's going to be a headstone at the top of our grave. There's going to be two dates. There's going to be the day you were born. There's going to be the day you die. And in between those two dates is going to be a dash. And that dash represents the sum of your life. What do you want to be remembered for? I think for the disciples... Prior to the resurrection, here's what they would probably have said. We were, we were living a life that made it a little bit about Jesus and a lot about us. Like what would our dash have said? It, it's a little bit about Jesus and a lot about us. And then after the resurrection, here's what they would have said. It's none, of, none of it's about us. It's all about Jesus. So the boldness that you see 
from the apostles in the early church, of them saying, hey, listen, we got, we've got nothing to lose. We've got nothing to lose. We, we saw a man come back from the grave. And he said he's gonna send his Holy Spirit to be with us. What do we have to lose? That's where their power came from. Because they knew they weren't the hero of the story. But listen, I also think this is true. When we make it, when we, when we make ourselves the hero of the story, we diminish the true power in our lives. So if you want power, you want courage, you want boldness, listen, it does not come from making yourself the hero of the story. And I know we live in a society that so you can muster enough courage, you can muster enough boldness, and that works to a degree. But it's not true power. It's not eternal power. It's not, the, it's not the power that changes lives in and through you. It's not that type of power. And in, the, in, and in the rest of Jesus, I think this is fascinating, in the rest of Jesus, we see an account of the apostles trying to, specifically Peter, try, trying to operate in his own power. You see, when Jesus, if you know the story, Jesus is at the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's, he's arrested by the soldiers. And the most, probably the most well-known of all the apostles, Peter, who's currently in jail in Acts chapter 5. The, the most well-known, he pulls out a sword or a dagger, depending on how you define it. And he swings, we think, trying to cut off the head of the soldier. We don't know. He cuts off his ear. Okay, so either he was just trying to make a little bit of statement or he just missed. Okay, either way, he shows a courage. He shows a boldness. He's saying, listen, I'm ready to fight. Like, let's, let's begin this movement. Let's start it now. Because in his mind, Jesus was a hero that had come to free them from oppression, from the Roman government, to free his people. And so, in Peter's mind, he thought, this is where it begins. And then all of a sudden, Jesus does something fascinating to me. It's incredibly fascinating. Jesus tells Peter to put down the sword. He miraculously puts the soldier's ear back on his head. He says, put down the sword. We're not here to fight. You see, Peter didn't understand this. He couldn't get this. And what happened to the courage and boldness that he could muster up? It diminished very quickly. Why? Because that power was in his own ability. That power was in his own understanding. And when that was gone, he had no courage. And his life was defined by his cowardice at that moment. And he went and he hid and he denied, even knowing Jesus. But what changed? The resurrection. When Jesus came to Peter on that shoreline and he restored him, something changed in him. He saw the resurrection. And so that's what he is claiming. That is what he's saying in verse 29. I want to read this together because this is so fascinating to me. And I want to unpack it for just a second. It says, after they're arrested, right, and they're freed and they're preaching, and then they come to them, 
those religious leaders, like, what are you doing here? It says this, it says, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, and then how about this, after you killed him. So he's looking at the religious leaders right there. You want to talk about boldness. He's saying, you killed him by hanging him on a cross. But then watch this. Where's the power come from? Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. We're going to come back to this. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. And then I love this next part because this is who we are, Bethlehem Church. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. So what Peter is saying here is he's saying, listen, we may at one point have thought ourselves as the hero, but we do not see ourselves as the hero anymore. The story is not about us. And all we are now is we are witnesses to the one true hero, and that is Jesus. The one everything is about. So what are we called to do? We are just called to be witnesses. We are supporting cast, if you would, in the story of God. I mean, we are just pointing to the true hero. But Peter says something here that I love, okay? And just, if you just allow me for a second, I think this is so fascinating. Peter refers to Jesus as our prince and savior. I want to throw this back up here because this is fascinating. This word savior right here is the word in Greek, soter. It's a very interesting word. We see it over and over and over again. It, 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 it translates savior, that Jesus is our savior. But this word right here is an interesting word, the word we see here for prince. The Greek word there is only used four times in scripture. It's used two times in the book of Acts and two times in the book of Hebrews. It's the only time that we see this Greek word. And this word that is translated right here, because it's not an easy word to translate into English, is this word right here, archegos. Archegos. Now what's interesting about this word archegos is that this would have been a very familiar word in the Hellenistic culture. Because this word was used in Greek and Roman literature to refer to as a hero. In fact, we actually have literature of, of, of Hercules, some of the early gods, being referred to as Archegos, the hero, the hero of the story. And what Peter is saying here, and I, I don't know if he just grabs this word or he uses it, but this is fascinating to me. But what Peter is saying to them is he's saying, hey, listen, Jesus is our hero. In Hebrews, it's, it's, it's translated captain. Jesus is our hero and our savior. And so what Peter's saying, you want to know what the story is all about? The story is all about the hero. Our lives are not our own. The power is not in and of ourselves. The power is in Christ in us. And when we make the story about us, we diminish the true power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. You see, the power is Christ in us. That's the power. That was the power of the early church. And listen, that is the power of Bethlehem Church. Christ in us. And when I say the church, I say you, the people, the movement, the people of God. 
That is the power that God has called us to. That's it. And so if there's any heroism in us, it's because of the work of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there's any power in us, it's because of that. And that's what inspires us, men and women, being heroic, not pointing to themselves, but pointing to Jesus. I want to go back to, as we close, to the superheroes. I think this is fascinating. You know, growing up, my favorite superhero was Spider-Man. I don't know anybody else. Spider-Man, I mean, come on, how cool is Spider-Man? Peter Parker, right? <laughs> Peter Parker, just a normal, ordinary kid, right? He's just a normal dude. Like, we all, like, we were just normal people. Then all of a sudden, he's bit by a radioactive spider in New York, okay? There's probably more than one radioactive spider in New York. I don't know, but... This guy, this kid's bit by a radioactive spider. What does he do? Then he receives power. Watch this. He receives power. He didn't have power. He's just ordinary. Then all of a sudden he receives this power. And then he leverages that power for good. And I don't know who your favorite superhero is, but they're all pretty much the same. The story is, at some point, they were basically ordinary people until all of a sudden they received a power. And then they leveraged that power and became heroic. But watch this. This is what I love about Scripture. You see, Jesus is the opposite of the heroes that we look at in our culture. Because Jesus didn't receive a power. He was already powerful. He was the creator of all things. All things were created by him and through him. You see, what Jesus did that was so different than the heroes that we look at, look at today is that Jesus laid aside his power. He said to Peter, put down the sword because what I am here to fight for, the weapons of man will have no use. And he willingly went to a cross, laid aside his rights, laid aside his power, willingly gave himself up. By the way, that type of power is not corruptible. Nobody can look at that power and go, he did it about, it was all about, it was, it was all about him. No, 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 listen, it was about him and his glory. But what he did is he laid aside that power for you and I so that we could have a relationship with him. In Bethlehem Church, that is what we are all about. That is, that's what we are standing on a stage preaching. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his name, his fame, and his glory. But listen, let's go back to the disciples. For the disciples, before the resurrection, before Jesus went to them and restored them, listen, they felt like failures. They, they were fearful. I mean, Peter must have thought, what, what hero hands himself over to be arrested? No, heroes fight. And so there's a lot of failure in their life. But then Jesus restores them. 
And then we see them in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5 and on with this courage and boldness that can only come from Jesus. And so I think this is important for us. I'm going to throw this up and I'm going to end with this because I think this is for somebody. Jesus' work on the cross is greater than any failure that you may have experienced or ever will experience. I don't know what your failure is. I don't know what your wrestle is. I don't know what's keeping you from moving forward. That's, that's stealing your, your boldness and your courage. You're like, I'm just not worthy. Listen, Jesus' work on the cross is greater than any failure you may have experienced or ever will experience. When the apostles, when Peter experienced that, it changed everything. And so when the angel came and let them out and said, go to the temple and keep preaching, they're like, let's go. Let's roll. We're not going to back down. We're here to proclaim a message that's way bigger than ours. And so Bethlehem Church, in this next season, what are we doing? We're pointing to Jesus it's all about him. We're going to run the race. We're going to keep going. We aren't going to stop. And so let me end with one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, the writer talks about running the race, which is where we are. And here's what it says. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge Crowd of witnesses, there it is right now, witnesses. What are they witnesses of? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The power that comes from Jesus Christ. To the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us, what it, here it is, let us run with endurance. This is where we are, church. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this. How do we do this? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. Here it is. The champion, the archegos. There it is. There's that Greek word again. Who initiates and perfects our faith. So Bethlehem, how do we carry on? By making Jesus the hero of our story. How, do, how does Bethlehem Church continue to run the race? By pointing to Jesus. How do you keep running the race? In your sphere of influence where God has placed you and your family, by pointing to Jesus, the real hero of the story. Amen? And so what we're going to do right now, we're just going to pray. We're going to pray that we would run the race with boldness that is found in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit working through us, through Jesus. And so we're going to ask that you bow your heads across all of our campuses. Would you stand with me? So Heavenly Father, what we are saying is that God, we wanna run the race well. That God, as there are many witnesses who are rooting and pulling for us saying, this is your time, this is your season. God, we wanna run. And we want to make Bethlehem Church about making the name of Jesus great, setting captives free, healing the sick, restoring marriages, 
restoring true identities. And that God, that you would use us in this next season to boldly and courageously preach the gospel of Jesus. And so for these men and women who are listening, God, would you, would you give them a boldness that can only be found in you? God, would you change their marriages? Would you change their lives? God, would you set captives free? God, as we just read, Lord, that, that if there's a failure, if there's something they're holding on to in the back, God, that they would realize that the cross is greater than that? That there's hope? So God, we give you all the praise, we give you all the glory, we give you all the honor. And it's in the name of Jesus that we worship right now. And everybody said, amen.